0: Good afternoon. good afternoon. It is great to see each of you here. It is uh, interesting. We talked about it last week, and it's good as uh it's already been mentioned to have some of you back that haven't been able to be with us recently. It seems like we get a few back, and a few others don't get to come. We get everybody. Everyone full house. But anyway, uh, just do glance around and notice the people aren't here, and uh, reach out to them in a phone call, text, whatever. And just to let them know they're missed, I know that is encouraging to people when that happens, and uh, so, and we do miss them, so that would uh, be an honest and sincere response. You know, it's kind of interesting, thought a lot about this, and uh, Paul, Saul, named Paul, name changes are interesting in the Bible, uh, to me, how one person has a name, and My name was Cephas, and then it was changed to Peter, and my name was Saul, and it's changed to Paul, and uh, Jacob was changed to Israel. And then there's people like uh, Atis Patrice, uh, Dorcas, Tabitha, Rhonda, Patrice, uh, Janet, Janie, and and I always worry about people with two names. But anyway, uh, (laughs) in the Bible, you'll see sometimes name change, and probably one of the people that we know best is Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. Um, Now, you talk about, because sometimes people will talk to me about the life they lived and how bad they were before they ever become Christians. I tell you what, you're going to have a hard time holding a candle to Saul. And I think God... Chose Saul for many reasons, but I think all this is recorded for us, so we realize you can be forgiven for whatever, and you can step up and you can be who you need to be. Now, one thing I will say, and we won't have time to cover it a lot, it will be very noticeable in the scripture, uh, whatever Saul did, and I, I, I want to be this, and I try to be this type of person. He's all in at whatever it is. There's no, he's no halfway man, whether he's Saul or Paul. That half-heartedness: well, Are you going to do this or not do this? Suck it up. Let's get it on. And uh, he was very much that way, and I appreciate him so much. But one of the things that is being questioned, even when he writes the church in Galatia, is Paul's apostleship. Because he, is, as is stated, he's the apostle out of time. He, he's, he's not like the rest of them. He, he wasn't like the first 12 who walked with Jesus every day. Um, but he was chosen directly by Jesus, and that happened on the road to Damascus. And it happened in a vision. But he wants to point out something I believe is so important. And that is, I didn't get this message from any man. Now, you and I got the message from a man. Some man taught. Now, I know it's from God, but some man taught us. He said, well, do you understand? We didn't have the written word at this time when he's getting it. But no one taught him. He received it directly from the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that's interesting. I've talked to several people about this, and I thought, well, that's not exactly what it says, preacher, because I do not believe that Ananias and I showed up and taught Saul of Tarsus the gospel, because then Acts twenty two sixteen would make no sense. When he shows up, and the first thing it seems like he says is, "What are you waiting on?" Well, if you didn't know what to do, what do you mean? What am I waiting on to do what? what are you waiting on, or why tarriest thou, the King James says, arise and be, he just tells them, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? And so what is the hold up? So I believe that's important. But let's look a little bit about this change that happens in here. And, and I do like uh, verse 23, and I've titled this, sermons like this all kinds of ways. And So you can go from persecutor to preacher, that's definitely what it is. Or you can go, even talk about the destroyer, because it says he was a destroyer. And uh, you can also just talk about the great change that happened in his life. But if you look at this, as Tim read for us from uh, verse 18, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. He said, so I preach this gospel all the time. I never even met with them yet. So how did I receive it from the apostles if I've never even been with them yet? Obviously, didn't receive it from them. So he says, three years later, I went up uh, to Jerusalem And even if you back up to show you a couple things that says ahead of that in uh, verses 13 and 14, it says, for you have heard of my former manner of life. Did he have a past? Do you and I have a past? Yeah, I'm not always proud of all of it. My former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Paul did, did, when he was Saul, did he do everything he could do to do away with the church? He persecuted, he tried to destroy it. He said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous of my ancestral traditions. He says, no one was a Jew like I was a Jew. He said, no one was more bent into this than I was. Now, Paul, when he was trying to destroy the church when he was trying to be its demise, it's because he honestly believed that the church was contrary to God's will. He was wrong, but that's what he thought. You know, it's possible to be sincere and dead wrong. So sincerity, because I hear people, well, they're sincere, sincere. you can be sincere and be dead wrong. Saul of a perfect example of that. I, he thought he was doing what was right. He believed what he was doing, what was right. He'd grown up. He is in it all the way. So you think about that, and I think about all kinds of things we see. So I want to show you something about his past and how the church would have understood it when he talks about here, you've heard of my former manner of life. And so when you say that, you're claiming that your present manner of life is not the same as your former manner of life. But back over in Acts chapter 8, uh, right after the stoning of Stephen, we see that in verse 1, it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Saul was good with killing preachers. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men uh, buried Stephen and made a loud lamentation over him. And But Saul began ravaging the church. Think about this if this happened today. Entering house after house. So Paul comes and finds out where we live and he's coming showing up on our house and he's not going to have a devotional. Dragging off men and women and he put them in prison. So here was Paul, he'd find out where the church was, find out where members of the church were, uh, where they lived, and he showed up at their house, he drugged men, women, he, he was no discriminator, and he's going to throw them in prison. Ooh, he was ravaging the church. Jump on later in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 13 and 14. And Ananias answered, Lord, I, this is when the Lord comes to tell Ananias, I need you to go baptize this guy. I need you to go talk to uh, Saul. Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm, how much harm, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. Did they know of him? Had they heard of him? Whew, this guy, he had a reputation and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He says, Let me tell you what, not only did he do that in Jerusalem, now he's got a letter, a letter of authority. He's supported by the chief priest to come and do harm and bring other people back to do harm to him. He's trying everything he can to destroy the church. So you look on in Acts chapter 9, jump down to verse 21. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he? This is after Paul has been converted and preached. Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name, Jesus' name, and who had, had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? We know who he is. He did harm to the Tried to destroy the church in Jerusalem. Now he's come here to haul us back to the chief priest and do the same thing to us. I'm telling you, he was a go-getter. If you need the job done and he was behind it, he was the man. If we were in the Wild West days, he's the best hired gun you could have. He was all in. And the reason he was all in, because he believed it was right. He believed that Judaism was to continue for eternity, And this Jesus was outstepping his authority and establishing something. He believed he was establishing something contrary to what the Bible had to say. But look on. Jump on over in Acts. Acts chapter 22. There's so much we can look at. It says, Paul writes, I am a Jew born of Tarsus of uh, Cilicia, who brought up in this city, educated of Gamal. That is, he is the guy you want to set under. Strictly according to the law of our, strictly, what's that mean? Followed it to the T. You know, it's kind of interesting sometimes when you, it's your desire to do God's will. People make accusations. Gloria's telling me about someone, and they thought it was an insult, and I guess I kind of take it as a compliment. Do you know what everyone thinks is an insult? I don't think it's an insult. And they says, well, he thinks, he believes that you have to do what the Bible says to the T. I do believe that. And that's supposed to be bad? He, he was strictly doing what he read about in the Old Testament, what he'd been raised uh, to believe and teach. And he says, so he was um, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are today. He says, I'm telling you, man, he was on fire for Judaism. I persecuted this way, that's the church, to the death Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. So he's going to become the apostle Paul, and he's going to do everything he can to convert people. He shows up to worship wherever. What's the chances he's going to show up and worship someone where he killed one of their kinfolks? Wow. He said, I didn't just slap him on the wrist. I persecuted him to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison. He said, I'm telling you, I tried to kill the church and I had no problem killing uh, Christians. I definitely had no problem killing preachers because we got Acts chapter 7 that records the killing of one of them. Jump on to Acts chapter 26 and then I'm going to move on to a couple other things. I just think it's important to see where Paul came from, who he was before he was a Christian. Uh, Chapter 26, verses four and five. So then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation at Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. He said, no one was more Jew than I was. No one followed that law closer than I did. And anybody in that religion that knew of me knew that. I mean, this isn't just someone who no one ever heard of in their lives. He was well known. And God chose him for reason. I still think it's interesting. It shows that my reasoning and God's is not close to the same always. But I always think about this, so you think about the Apostle Paul, and God chose him specifically to be the Apostle that preached and took the gospel to the Gentiles. Now that seems peculiar to me, and I'll tell you why. Because he was most educated to take the gospel to the Jews. But he didn't use him for that. See, God's a lot brighter than me. It makes sense to me. And God says, I don't care if it makes sense to you or not. This is what we're going to do. It is amazing to me. And maybe he also understood, He would, have, even though he would know the Jewish law the best, he would not be very well accepted because of his history and conversion out of it. I don't know what all is. God doesn't always explain everything, but he explains what we need to know. So jump back with me over here to Galatians chapter one, back up even before, I'll get finally where I had Tim read, but back up even before we get to that, go to verse 16. To reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. He said, I was preaching the gospel and I didn't talk to any man about it ahead of time. So guess what? The New Testament isn't written yet. He didn't have any Christian teaching him that. So he had to get his message somewhere else, didn't he? He did. He got it straight from the Holy Spirit, because he was chosen of God to do that very thing. Now, if you go on over in Galatians chapter two, I like this wording, uh, Galatians two. Uh, I'm going to read seven through nine anyway. Uh, They're going to show up to Jerusalem to the council, and here's what happens: they don't. They're not so sure they want to accept anything from this traitor that they're not sure as a traitor. They think he's setting up, He's just sucking in with us so he can lay the hammer down and capture Saul. Verse seven, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked uh, for me also to the Gentiles. Now he's making a claim that really is going to boggle their mind. He is claiming to be an equal to the Apostle Peter. He is an equal to the Apostle. And he says, "...and recognizing the grace that has been given to me, James, Cephas," that's Peter, "...and John, who were reputed to be pillars, indeed, Gave to me and Barnabas. This is interesting. The right hand of fellowship. What's that mean? I always remember one of my instructors when I was going to school of preaching. He was. His name was Abe Lincoln, not the president. I'm not that old, but his name was Abe Lincoln. But I remember we were talking. He said he was watching. So he's a guy who used to play football for Texas A and M. So he's a pretty big boy. But uh, he was talking to us and he was saying did you guys catch tv and i don't remember who it was some pentecostal preacher was on TV, paid big money to be on TV. And he was talking about how they come forward and this guy's coming up there and he getting ready to heal him and he said he'd hit him in the head and they'd fall on the ground. The next one would come up there and they'd hit him in the forehead and they'd fall on the ground. He said, Man, if that's my hand, I'd have got in line when I stepped up there. He said, I'd have give him the right fist of fellowship. That's what he said. <laughs> so that's not the right hand of fellowship isn't popping him in the eye or popping him in the mouth. But right hand of fellowship, that's like acceptance, greeting. Sending them on, showing approval. You know, you think about that. So he said, they showed acceptance with this right hand, and they understood fellowship, whether people today do or not. So they extended us into their fellowship. They showed acceptance. And he said, therefore, they would have given him what he wants. But go back to Acts um, 9 real quick. One more verse I want you to see there. I should have got it when I was there. Acts chapter 9, look at verse 20. Acts 9, 20. Now remember, he didn't see any of these apostles for a while from when he was converted. He didn't talk to anybody ahead of time. But in verse 20, as he's talking about that, he says, when his conversion happened, and immediately, and immediate, what's immediately mean? If someone goes, pulls that fire alarm, don't do that. If someone does that, the fire, and we immediately leave the building, does that mean we hang around here until about three before we leave? AND IMMEDIATELY HE BEGAN PROCLAIMING JESUS. HOW LONG DID HE WAIT? HE DIDN'T WAIT. HE DIDN'T WAIT till HE WENT TO MEET THE APOSTLES SO THEY COULD TELL HIM SOMETHING DIFFERENT. HE DIDN'T, BECAUSE GOD HAD ALREADY, HAD JESUS HAD ALREADY APPEARED TO HIM, TOLD HIM WHERE TO GO, AND FOR THREE DAYS HE'S BEEN THERE PRAYING, AND YOU KNOW WHAT ELSE I have FOUND OUT? WELL, IT MUST BE THAT THE HOLY SPIRIT WAS ALSO EDUCATING HIM ON SOME THINGS, EVEN BEFORE HE BECAME A CHRISTIAN. Because he didn't become a Christian until the day he was baptized. How important all that is. So look on down here in, uh, since we're in Acts 9, go to verse 26. And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. I don't trust this guy. We're not going to meet with him. But Barnabas, well respected by the Jews... TOOK HOLD OF HIM, AND BROUGHT HIM TO THE APOSTLES, AND DESCRIBED TO THEM HOW HE HAD SEEN THE LORD ON THE ROAD, AND HOW HE HAD TALKED TO HIM, AND HOW IN DAMASCUS HE HAD SPOKEN OUT BOLDLY IN THE NAME OF JESUS, AND HE WAS WITH HIM, MOVING ABOUT FREELY IN JERUSALEM, AND SPEAKING OUT BOLDLY IN THE NAME OF THE LORD, AND HE WAS TALKING AND ARGUING WITH THE HELLENISTIC JEWS, BUT THEY WERE ATTEMPTING TO PUT HIM TO DEATH. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Troas. So you think about all this that's going on. Paul's got to prove himself. Now think about how tough this is for Paul. He'd done everything he could to destroy the church. He sincerely obeyed the gospel. God chose him and gave him the same truth that he'd given the other apostles in Acts 1 and 2, miraculously given it to Paul now. But the majority of the church wouldn't trust him, wouldn't have anything to do with him. Man, can you see why he's always ready to go on another missionary journey? I'm ready to move on. But you know what? We talked about it in the teenage class today. You remember where Jesus grew up? Nazareth. Remember how it went down with him when he showed up there? Even Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. So they blew, it, blew Jesus. Wow. So sometimes it takes quite a time to prove yourself. Now, even if you jump back over here into Galatians chapter 1, I don't want to take too too much time here, but Galatians chapter 1, I think there's a lot of things said here, but I think we got to remember when it gets down to it all, um, when it says in verse 23, but only they kept hearing, he is the one who persecuted us, is now proclaiming the faith, which he once tried to destroy. Here's what we're hearing. We heard about who he was, and now we hear he's doing this. Boy, if they grew up with some of the colloquialisms we did, leopards don't change spots. Um, they did this time. We think about it, it change, it's kind of tough to, I don't know, they've always been that way. But then in verse 24, and they were glorifying God because of me. So he said, they did finally accept it, and they were glorifying God because of me, because I did change, because I was doing this. I think about that with Paul with so many things. I think about in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse one, when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He's doing everything he can to be the example. When he was a Jew, Practicing Judaism, he was the guy whose example you need to follow. When he became a Christian, he was the example of Christianity you need to follow. And I think about another passage in 1 Corinthians. I love this passage, uh, chapter 2 and verse 2, when he says, For I have determined to know nothing among you but blues hockey and blues hockey only. No. Cardinals baseball and Cardinals no. I've determined know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, now when we get to it, this is what I'm coming for. This is what I'm coming to do. And how important it is to remember that of who we are and what we've come to do. Now I want to show you one other passage before we look further in this idea of glorifying God because of me. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Something we've looked at before, but I want you to see it. Down at... Uh, Verse 15. Listen to these words. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. What? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Christ come to the world? Save sinners. Why does the church exist today? Save sinners. That's how you glorify God. So it says here it is save sinners among, here's what he writes whom I am foremost of all. I am, the King James says, the chief of sinners. So here's what the Apostle Paul was trying to say. If we make a list of who committed the most and worst sins, he says, you don't hold a candle to me. You, no matter how, I, I still remember that little old lady, Claire Bird when I baptized when she was 72 years old. And, you know, with us now with this whole Supreme Court thing, and she told me when she, she's 72, but she started crying like a little girl and told me when she was 30, she, she killed her own baby. She didn't go to have an abortion. She killed her own baby, unborn baby, killed her. And she cried. She says, God can't forgive me. So we looked at some of these passages about solitarsis. And you guys have heard me say this before when she says, She's the only person I ever heard call Paul this. She says, well, if God can forgive that heretic, he can forgive me too. Reprobate was her word. If God can forgive that reprobate, he can forgive me too. Well, he that's pretty much who he was according to the church in that day, wasn't he? And that's a perfect example. I don't care what you've done. You killed any preachers lately for preaching the truth? You went in and found the uh, church directory and looked up the addresses and went over there and grabbed men and women, both drug them out, threw them in prison, even killed some of them? Beat, if you didn't kill him. we'll just beat him with the inch of their lives. Did you do any of that lately? That's what this man was doing before he became a Christian. And I believe when you read the New Testament, I believe he was the most effective evangelistic tool of the first century. He was amazing. He's no Jesus, but he is truly a sincere, honest, and faithful follower of Jesus. AND IT'S AMAZING TO LOOK AT HIM. SO THEY GLORIFIED GOD BECAUSE OF ME. WHEN WE'RE THINKING ABOUT OVER IN GALATIANS or WHERE HE WOULD TELL US THAT AT THE END OF CHAPTER 1, LOOK AT CHAPTER 6, SOME OF THESE VERSES WE KNOW PRETTY WELL, AND VERSE 10. HE SAYS, SO THEN, WHILE WE HAVE OPPORTUNITY, WHILE WE HAVE OPPORTUNITY, LET US DO GOOD TO ALL PEOPLE. WHEN WE HAVE OPPORTUNITY TO DO GOOD TO SOMEONE, ARE WE SUPPOSED TO DO IT? DO GOOD TO ALL PEOPLE. Even people in denominations, we're supposed to do good to them. Even atheists, even the most ungodly world, yeah, we're supposed to do good to them. Now, we might have to figure out what that is. That doesn't mean candy-coating things, but especially to those who are the household of faith. So sometimes I think about that. I always think about congregations who say, well, you can only do benevolence work to brethren. So if someone shows up that isn't a member of the church, the church, individuals can. This always blew my mind. Individuals can give them something, but you can't take money out of church treasury to help them. Now let's just think about that for a minute. So I'm going to use Dennis and Patrice. So we're going to let Patrice be the Christian, and Dennis said, he lived like that for a while. And they fall on hard times. And they need groceries. Now with their stance... They would give Patrice, but tell her she couldn't let Dennis eat. They would have to say that because he's not a brother. Now, how ignorant does that sound? That sounds totally ludicrous. First of all, he says, do good to all men. Who all does that include all men? Especially, now it might be. Let's just say we have somebody show up and they need help. We got 20 bucks. That's all we got, 20 bucks to help somebody with. But we got a brother in crisis on the same tough time, and we're going to have to choose. Who do we choose? Especially those of the household. of it. Not that we ignore the other, but when we can only do one, you know, we choose brethren every time. That reminds me back, Tammy could tell this story better, but this goes way back uh, when we were probably in our 20s somewhere in our mid-20s, and went to a preacher's meeting. She met with the uh, women, the preacher's wives, and one of the preachers there wives said, she always keeps a friend that isn't a member of the church. Now, you can ask Tammy if she'll do this for her, if I remember this pretty accurately. She always keeps a friend who isn't a member of the church so she can air out things of people in the church. What? That's going to be real good at converting someone, isn't it? And I think it says not to gossip. And if you have odd against your brother, you take it to them. You want me to keep going? I mean, there's just passage after passage. But I think this is important here. He says, let us, you look up in verse 9, he says, uh, don't lose heart in doing good, for in due time you'll reap if you do not grow. But we, while we have opportunity, we need to do good to everyone we possibly can. So he says, because of me, they glorified God. Now look at another one over in Philippians chapter 1. I like this passage a lot. For me to live as Christ and die is gain. But I, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose. Now, this is important if I don't even read any more of the passage. He said, I don't know whether I'm going to live or die. But if I live, what's it going to mean? Fruitful labor for me. He said, if I'm going to die, get, well, the next verse says, I'm hard pressed in both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very much better. He said, I'd rather die and go be with Christ right now. But if I live, what's he going to do? Well, I'm not going to do a stinking thing. No, it's going to mean fruitful. I'm going to work for the Lord. It's going to mean fruitful labor for me. Uh, As you get on down in this, he goes, he thinks he's going to remain. I'm convinced of this in verse 25. I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy. He said, so this is about not what I get out of it, but the Lord's going to leave me here to help you. You ever think about that? Why are you a member of the church? To bring forth fruitful labor, right? For other people's good and for their gain. You know, if Christianity was just about going to heaven, then the best thing to do is obey the gospel and die right now. But if every Christian died the minute they stepped out of the baptistry, how would the gospel get proclaimed? We have this very important aspect we have to remember. LET'S LOOK AT JUST A COUPLE OTHER PASSAGES. FIRST CORINTHIANS. FIRST CORINTHIANS CHAPTER NINE. I'LL GO RIGHT TO uh, VERSES 22 AND 23 OF FIRST CORINTHIANS CHAPTER NINE. TO THE WEAK, I BECAME WEAK, THAT I MIGHT WIN THE WEAK. I BECOME ALL THINGS TO ALL MEN, SO THAT I MAY BY ALL MEANS SAVE SOME. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Well, that's a lot. I could preach a long time on that. What's he saying? I'm going to be whatever I need to be to reach whoever I can reach. He says, whatever it takes, that's what I'm going to do. Now, one thing I'm going to do this, when you get in the last part, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. That's the reason I live the way I live. And so that I also can be a fellow partaker of it. You know, you've heard me say before, and I'll say it again, and we can look at a lot of pastors on this point. We made it so many times, you probably could pull a lot of them off the top of your head, too. But the greatest thing you can do to help someone else in their faith is be faithful. And the worst thing you can do is correct them while you're being unfaithful. We've got to be faithful to the Lord. We've got to do what's right. If I'm going to talk to you about the importance of not using profanity, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for edification for the need of the moment, Ephesians 4 and 29. If I give you that, but all the time you hear me telling dirty jokes, you know what your reaction is? And that's the right reaction. Don't, don't even go there. So we've got to think who we are and we've got to be that person. And we've got to help each other be that person. And we've got to encourage you. He says, to the week I became weak. It's all for the sake of the gospel. It goes all the way back to 2.2 2 in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2, that sounds like some weird little piece of clothing. But back to 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2 when he says, I've determined on nothing among you except Jesus Christ, him crucified. Let's look at one other passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. This is right after he'd asked for help, but I want you to listen to this about the thorn in the flesh, relieving that. He says, and he said to me, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient. Now it's kind of, my grace is sufficient for you. I've thought a million times, how would you paraphrase that, Kendall? deal with it. It's not going away. Sometimes things happen in our life, and God's not going to fix that problem. It can be physical, it can be even a spiritual challenge. God, not, You're going to have to live with it. He wanted this thorn in the flesh removed because he believed it would help him to be uh, better. And he believed this was a messenger from Satan up in verse 7. He says, My grace is sufficient, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And I think about the point that Paul's made more than once when I'm weak, then I am strong, because then we depend on him. Therefore, I am well content. I want you to think about that. I'm well content with weakness. With insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So whatever anybody throws at me is not going to get between me and him. Sometimes it hits pretty hard when people mistreat you, doesn't it? And it really hits you hard when it's a brethren who mistreat you. He said, but you can't let that, I don't care what the insult, what they do. Just remember, trust in him trust in Him. I'm a firm believer and Jesus said it, you will know them by their fruits. Kendall says it like this, it'll all come out in the wash. We looked at the parable of the wheat and the tares in the teenage class today. Uh, they're in Matthew 13 where you see that he plants this good wheat crop and then his enemy comes in and plants tares, weeds in it. And his workers say, you want us to pull up the weeds? No, don't pull up the weeds, you'll tear up the good plants with them. You can go ahead and look at the explanation of that, and you'll see that the one who's planting the good seed is the son of man, is Jesus, and his enemy who planted the weeds is the devil. And you'll see that the seed there is not the Word of God. That's kind of interesting, because you usually want to read that. That's the first, and in many places it is. But there he says the seed is the sons of the kingdom, Christians. And he says the tares is the son of the one who planted the devil, the one who does evil. And he said, don't worry, he's sending his angels and Kindle's words. It's all coming out in the wash. No, he says it'll involve a lake of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, he says this is where it is. He says sometimes you can do something about it, and sometimes you can't. But you know what you have to do? You do what's right, just like Paul did. Whether they accepted him or not. I want you to think about this. So Paul, in the first century, I'm not sure that many Jewish Christians ever really felt comfortable around him. But I want you to think about this. How many people since the first century has preached about what great example Paul is on a changed life? So that's what we did today. We looked at that. Paul says he makes that defense in Galatians chapter 1. He wasn't a destroyer anymore. He's a glorifier of God. He used to use his name in vain. Now, this is per se, like someone using his name in vain, but now they only praise him. They used to speak evil of those Christian people, those old goody two-shoes, those people think they're better, but now they're one of them. They're one of them that preach the gospel and do their best to live according to it. That's what we have to see. So Paul's a great example. So he went from being a persecutor to being a preacher, he went from being a destroyer to being a great gospel preacher. I mean, I think it's interesting. Even at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he even gets a point and says, I'm not sure. Sh- I can't remember how who I baptized. I know I baptized this and this or- I'm not. now. I didn't come here to baptize anyway. I came here to preach. You know why we're here? We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And we're to be converted people. We're to be changed people. That's what repentance means. If you're here today and your life is not according to God's word, not according to his will, don't leave here like that. If you've got something to change, change it now. You don't have to live in the past. You can live in the present. You can have used to been the chief of sinners. Now it's to become the spreader of the gospel. If we can help you anyway, please come as we stand and sing.